Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open up to the book of uh, 1 Kings today. We're going to look a little bit at Elijah. I've been uh, prepping for some time on this. and went long in the first service. I'll try to be a little more concise in this service. Is that a good word? I want to tell you today how thankful, in this theme of Thanksgiving, how thankful I am to get the pastor here, to be in this church, and to be with you, and to have you in my life. It's my family and my friends. I've known some of you for all my life. Some of you just met, just getting to know. I'm thankful for all of you. Thankful for a church like this. What a great place, man. When people love each other and care for one another, it's a very special place. I'm proud, very proud to be a part of it. I want to challenge you to just take one minute. You don't have to get up. Just lean left or right or back or front and just tell somebody that you're thankful for them in your life. Maybe your husband, your wife, maybe your daughter, maybe a stranger. Just tell them you're thankful for who they are. Got Celeste and Trish out there. All you ladies. All right. First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. I want to talk, if I can, a little while today. I want to teach. I want to try to pray some at the end of this. So. I want to talk about depression. Some of the statistics and some of the things that it tells us. Uh, paints a, a sad, serious picture. Depression is really, to me, a, what I call a sickness of the soul. Spiritual epidemic of our day, really. Uh, when every hand's turned, you hear about it. Every hand's turned, you see people suffering from it. And even in your own life, if you're like me, it can crop up its head at, at any time. Statistics tell us this. Right now, 121 million people worldwide suffer from some form of depression. It's a greater epidemic by far than Ebola ever had a chance to be. And you just don't hear quite as much about this subject. It tells us that 10% of all Americans today, that's one in 10 of us in here, have been diagnosed and getting treated in a moment for, for depression. Women, they tell us, are two times as likely as men to, to enter into this state of mind. 80% of people, and this is a scary thought, with these symptoms in their life, receive absolutely no help from anybody. And this sickness, if you will, can lead to, to job loss, family loss, can even lead to life loss. And one of the promptings for me in this message is that I have walked too far lately. Too many people. This old dreaded disease has, has gotten the better of them. And I think it's time we looked at it out in the light. Maybe shed the stigma of it off. That man, if you have this or suffer from this, that you're... Somehow not faithful enough that man you just hadn't got enough faith in your life if you ever feel like this or Somehow there must be sin in your life You know they tell us today that in the United States every 15 minutes somebody takes their own life That's 35,000 people every year They tell us sadly today that among returning veterans more today active duty soldiers die from suicide than from those that are in the field of combat they found that 22 veterans on average kill themselves each day, totaling more than 8,000 in a year. It's an epidemic. 
It's not something that we can't defeat, however. Thanks be unto God that there is hope for it. And that there is a way that we can overcome it. Now, everybody doesn't have to be clinically depressed. The scope of this is long. Some people are. Some people maybe just are down a little bit or blue, if you will, or all of us know that we have stress in our life in some form or fashion that we're trying to handle. And maybe even in the little ways. I heard a story of a man who was traveling out of town, went into a restaurant, and he asked the waitress, do you serve breakfast here? She said, yes, sir, we do. He said, well, how about bringing me out some watery scrambled eggs, some burnt toast, and some wheat coffee? She said, well, sir, I, I can do that if you'd like me to. I'll put the order in. He said, well, tell me how long, uh, what are you going to be doing while they fill that order back there? And she said, well, really, not much of anything. He said, well, do you mind to sit down here and nag me until it comes out? I'm missing home. Hadn't been there in far too long. Maybe you're just stressed like that. This message is for you. We look at this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it. And we're going to try to skin three thoughts quickly. We're going to hit the highs today out of it. That I believe will help us in understanding and overcoming this reality in our lives. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. She said, Big boy, you've killed every prophet that we have on the scene. You've laid waste to them. And I'm going to tell you, if you're still around this town this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. You're going to be just like one of them. And when he saw that, he arose... And he went, a good translation is ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, plant that still grows in the desert, not so much a tree but a bush, good for shade. And he found himself one and climbed underneath it. And he began to talk to the Lord. Or that, so asking him to go ahead and take his life. And he said, It is enough now, Lord, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and he laid him down again. Look at, look at this. And the angel of the Lord came unto him the second time when he went back to sleep after he ate. Some of us are going to be doing that on Thursday. I know. We're going to eat. We're going to go back to sleep. And he touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink. And he went to the strength of that meat for forty days and forty nights under the hair of the mountain of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down all thine altars, all true, slain thy prophets with a sword, true, and even I only am left, not true. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and broke the pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that earthquake, a, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, there came a still, small voice. Thanks be unto God. And it was so. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And the voice of the Lord came unto a second time unto Elijah, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down all thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I even I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Just one phrase from 15, and I'm going to stop. And the Lord said unto him, Go. Go. When we consider this sinister old thing, depression in our life, there are three thoughts that I will glean from this powerful passage of Scripture that I believe will help you and me today. Number one, I want you to see who's under that bush. We need to ask the question, who is it? That's laying under that bush. Who is this that's out in the desert telling the Lord that he's done, that he's had enough, and the best thing that could happen is that he just take his life right where he is, and, and there's no more for me? Who is that that's under this bush? Well, it's no ordinary somebody. This is Elijah. This is Elijah the, the Tishbite. This is Elijah who had the power to raise one from the dead. Now, you can look through the scripture. There weren't many people who had the privilege and the power to be able to raise one from the dead. Elijah had done that. This was the one who, by his very words and his blessing, blessed the, the widow's crews of all so that forever and ever there would be enough uh, all the way down the line. Anytime she had a need, that there would be enough flowing forth from that cruise of all because of her faithfulness and her commitment to God. This was the prophet, the word says, of the Most High God. This was the guy who one chapter before had called down fire from heaven to consume a waterlogged burnt offering. This was the same guy who had made fun of the prophets of Baal. This was the same guy who was bold enough to say, man, maybe you need to speak to him a little louder. Maybe he's asleep somewhere. Maybe he's gone on a trip just mocking them, knowing the whole time that this God had no power, no authority, and really didn't exist in the way and the shape and the form that they thought he did. This was Elijah, the bane of all the prophets of Baal, the one who would never ever taste physical death, but would be caught up into heaven in a chariot of fire. You find him in the desert under a juniper tree saying, God, I'm done. I'm done. And I say that to say this. If that can happen to him, it can happen to you and me in our lives. We shouldn't be surprised when those times come in our lives that we're challenged and and as Paul said, he said, man, I'm pressed. Didn't he say that? On one occasion, he said, I'm pressed. I'm crushed all the time. I'm under the, the press beyond measure. We can't even measure the pressure that I'm under. David, time after time in the Psalms, you see him say, Father, my soul is just vexed. Father, I need you. I cry out unto you in these moments of, of hopelessness. We see that even men outside the Bible, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the prince of preachers, I obviously am not old enough to have ever heard him preach, but I've read much after him. One of his biographers tells us that he was plunged into severe depression, not a little, but severe depression. Yes, health concerns, but mostly under spiritual attack. 
He said he called him the prince of preachers. But even this prince of preachers battled this old sinister enemy. The quote that I have for you is this. What he suffered in those times of darkness, we may not know. Even his desperate calling on God brought him no relief. And Spurgeon said this, there are dungeons beneath the castles of despair that no man even knows about. The word said he would preach on, the history tells us he would preach on Sunday. He said of himself, I would preach on Sunday and I would go home and lay on the couch and get my wife to sit there and read to me all afternoon from the Psalms out of, to get me out of the desperate situation that I was in. So today we, I've listened to everybody I can listen to. I've listened to Johnny Hunt tell of his battles with depression. Perry Noble in Greenville tell of his battles with depression. Even the bishop, T.D. Jakes, tells of these bouts of depression that he has in his life. And if that's true of all them, I want to tell you, it can be true of you and me very easily in our lives today. You say, Pastor, are you depressed? Well, let me tell you, I battle it sometimes. I battle it. There's times when it's a part of my life and a challenge to me. Some places that I have to count on the Lord heavily and deeply to be able to get through. And it can be a part of your life right where you are. Who's under that bush? Man, it might be you. It might be you today. You might have your praise on on the outside and you might have your hallelujah anyway, spit in the face of the devil on on the outside, but on the inside, you might be in turmoil right where you are. You might be like Elijah. Saying, God, I don't know how much more of this. I don't know how much more I can take. Look who's under that bush. Secondly, I want you to see what it is that drove him there. Why is he there? How did he get there? He's depressed down, despairing of life, ready to die. Serious situation. I want to, to schedule three things for you to write down here that I believe helped him get there. There are many more causes than this. This is not exhaustive, but I believe this touches uh, the driving force behind Elijah that drove him out of that juniper tree. Number one, I believe fear sent him there. And you know the chiefest weapon of the enemy in your life is fear. If he can get you afraid, he's got you. If he can get you on the run, he's got you. You say the prophet was fearful? Yes, I don't understand that. Here's one minute on Mount Carmel. He's calling down the fire, killing all the prophets. And man, standing there haughty, daring anybody and their brother to say something to him. And the next minute, one lady makes a threat to him and he turns and begins to run for his life. Now it's not just any old lady, very powerful lady, a lady in much control, a lady with much sway. And she scared him absolutely to death. Now I want you to know what it really was though today. It was a threat, wasn't it? I don't believe that she could have taken Elijah's life. I don't believe in any way, shape, or form she had the authority or the means to take the life of such a powerful man. All she could do is what she did, and that's breathe a threat in his direction. Let it lodge in his mind. And sometimes the threat is worse than the actuality. It was my life's mission to drive my sister absolutely batty as we were growing up. Man, I did everything I could do to aggravate her and drive her crazy. And all she would have to do is say, if you keep that up, I'm going to get you somewhere. And that would lodge in my spirit. I would rather she just wore me out in the hallway. Then I could have told on her and got her in trouble. I would have just rather that. But what she did was threaten. She said, man, I'm going to find you somewhere. You don't know where and you don't know how, but I'm going to get you. And man, I, I'd go for a month scared to death on where, the where, when, and the how was going to be. The threat was far worse than the actuality. And you see, the enemy in your life is going to threaten you today. 
He's going to breathe those things. He's going to implant those things in your thinking that bring about fear in your life. Oh, I'm never going to get any better. Things aren't going to get any better. God's left you. There's no reason for you to live any longer. That's what he's going to tell you. And all he can do is threaten you. All he can do is threaten you. I'd be remiss if I didn't say at this time of the year, I'm always moved by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan's message is be afraid. But his message is be thou not afraid. Satan's message is is fear. But time and time again, we see the word of the Lord coming to us. Fear not, don't be afraid. Every person that he visited that had anything to do with his birth, the first words that were sown into their spirit were, do not be afraid. And I'm here to tell you, I've got a word for you. If the enemy's got you afraid and running today, don't listen to his word. Listen to the word of the Lord. You don't have to be afraid of your old enemy today. Praise be unto God, the Lord has in his hands everything that ought to make us afraid and fearful. He holds them in his hands. The keys to death, hell, and the grave are his. And we don't have to be afraid anymore. What drove him there? Fear. Might be what's driving you today. Secondly, I put it this way. Three words. Failure, frustration, and futility. Man coupled together, they are a powerful force. Man, he perceived that all he had accomplished was of no value or impact. He told the Lord, I'm no better than my father's. I, I thought I was doing some good work. I thought you were working in me and through me. I thought some great things were happening. And here we are, out in the desert. I was wrong. I'm no better than they are. I discount everything you've ever done through me, for me, and in me. I lay it by the wayside. And I come to this old juniper tree. And I say, Father, I'm just here a failure. Here I am a frustration. Here I am a futility. I have come up short. There is no hope. There is no tomorrow. I'm done for. The writer of Ecclesiastes, they tell us, was the wisest man in all of history. That he was the richest man in all of history. Yet we read that book and we see all this vanity. Life is no good. And even though you climb to the top of the ladder, you see that this can creep in, this futility, this failure, this hopelessness about tomorrow. If the enemy can rob you of anything and have an impact in your life, he's going to rob you of your hope. He's going to get you to a place to say there is no tomorrow in your life. You've burned every bridge. You can't go back anywhere. And every uh, door before you is nothing but disaster. And I can rest assured that every day you draw breath is going to be worse than today. The best thing you can do is throw in the towel for there is no hope for tomorrow. How many of y'all are glad that the message of the gospel today is not a no-hope message, but a hope message? I'm glad we have a, a lively hope in Jesus Christ. Not a dead hope, but a hope that's, that's living. Man, He came that we might have hope. I love what Paul said. Don't be ignorant, brothers. Don't be like those who have no hope. You know better. We have a hope in us that the Lord Jesus Christ one of these days will return and call us unto Himself and will dwell with Him throughout all eternity. The Lord says to you today, your best days are ahead of you. And if the enemy can He'll get you to a place to rob you of your hope and leave you under the juniper tree. Failure breeds hopelessness. Thirdly, fatigue. I believe Elijah was tired. 
uh, an old country saying, how many of y'all ever been worn to a frazzle in your life? Anybody heard that in a long time? Man, my granny used to say that all the time. Son, I am worn to a frazzle. In that voice and with that face that was indicating, and it's your fault that I'm here. How many of y'all, hey, you're the one that perpetrated this. I'm worn to a frazzle. Well, here's Elijah under the juniper tree. I believe he was worn slap out. I believe he'd given all he had. I believe the press and the fight and the, and the daily life, the journey for him, it, it had been too much. His mind was stressed. His body was stressed. His spirit was vexed. The climb was hard. He'd clawed and fought all the way. And he finally found that he could not fight anymore. I heard one preacher say this and say it well as I was preparing for this message. When you go look for a car, it really isn't the year that matters so much. It's the mileage. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? A brand new year old car can have 300,000 miles on it and it's wore out. And you see today we burn the candle, don't we? At both ends, everything in society is about pushing us and stressing us and more, 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 more. You have to cram into your life. And if you're not careful, I believe the enemy will use it in your life to where you slam out and there you are laying under the juniper tree. I asked him in the first service, I'm going to ask you this. How many of y'all are married in this room in here today? Let me ask you this. How often a week are you married? How long? Are you married 40 or 50 hours a week? Do you put in 60 in your marriage? I mean, do you have a time clock in your kitchen that when you get up in the morning, you, you say, okay, baby, we are married right now. And then eight hours later, you come back and say, do you got anything to say? Because I'm, I'm fixing to hit the clock right here. And after that, you're on your own. We're not married. That's not the way it is, is it? When you're married, it's 24-7. How many of y'all are parents in the house today? How often are you a father or a mother? 24-7. And then the stress of that is there. 24-7. It doesn't matter if they're out of your house and gone. The stress is there. 24-7. You're thinking about it all the time. And I'm here to tell you that in my life, I believe this is the greatest factor that I face. This factor of fatigue and getting to the, to the end of myself. See, when you're at the end of yourself physically, it's a short leap to be at the end of yourself mentally. And it's not far behind that to be at the end of yourself spiritually. It's where you have nothing to give and you can't do anymore. And you can push yourself doing good, godly things and find yourself worn, slammed out at the end of it. And it's tempting to say, God, I've had enough. I can't do anymore. I ran into a, a pastor friend of mine in the hospital just the other day. I was sitting with one of our church members and the other one was in the back. I was just talking with this church member. I love it when people are already there. When I arrived ministering to, to one another, he came by, hugged me around the neck, and he said, Brother, are you staying busy with that facetious tone? Because he and I understand one another's task very well. He said, are you staying busy? I said, yeah, I am. The Lord's keeping me out of trouble. I'm staying busy. He said, well, I, I don't know what you got to complain about. All pastors do is work two hours a week, and then they have enough energy to whine about doing that when they're done with it. He said, that's all, that's all there is to this game. What's your problem? And he laughed and just walked on down the hallway. He says, nothing could be further from the truth. Because it's on your mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's not a time. When I don't pastor you, do I begrudge that? No. I embrace that. That's what God has called me to do. I love it. Absolutely love it. 
But I have to go at it with understanding that at some point, I've only got so much of myself that's there. And in your life today, if you keep giving and giving and running and running and doing and doing, you're going to find yourself like Elijah. I believe sometimes when we get to the top, I believe when we're at the pinnacle of success, I believe when you reach that milestone, I believe sometimes that's where the enemy is going to land on you the hardest. When you're doing the best and you think, man, I fought all this way, Lord, and here we are. I believe Elijah had a notion that once he slayed those prophets of Baal down by that creek, he was never going to have to encounter them again. Yet on the morrow, yea, that afternoon, here came Jezebel and said, brother, you're going to pay for what you just did. And I think in his mind he was thinking, gosh, I thought I was going to cruise on in. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes in that spiritual high place that you find yourself, in that, in that high place in your work, in that high place in your job, you'll find that when you get there, in that high successful place in your marriage, I believe sometimes you're more vulnerable to the attack of the enemy than you are at any other time in your life. He was in that high place. Man, you put that pressure on, put the fatigue on, put a tragic event in there with it, put a prolonged illness in there with it, put a pain that won't subside, put the loss of a loved one in there with it, and beloved, you're going to end up under the juniper tree if you're not careful. What drove him there? But here's where the rubber meets the road and what I really want to talk to you about. What brought him out of there? What got him up? Well, we know it was the hand of God, don't we? We know that it was the Lord at work. We know that any deliverance, anything good in our life ultimately comes from whose hands? It comes from His good hand. So we know that it was the work of the Lord. But there's some specific things I want you to see that you need to list. I'm going to give you quickly, don't get scared. I'm going to give you quickly six of them that I believe you can do that will help you. In these moments. Number one, come apart. We see that Elijah came apart. You know, we're pretty judgmental on him for running. It might have been that's the best thing he could do. It might have been in the moment what he really needed to do was unplug and get out of there for a little while. Vance Havner used to preach. How many of y'all remember Vance Havner? What a prince of preachers. He used to say it this way. He'd say, beloved, if you don't come apart and rest, you'll what? Come apart. That's what he used to say. Kenneth Ridings always used to say this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you'll ever do is rest. Sometimes that's the greatest thing you can do in the spirit realm is rest. People say, Pastor, why do you go on vacation so much? Why do you, why do, you do this or, or why do you do that? Or I'll tell you why, because that's the only way that I'm ever going to get out of the situation enough to, to really rest. So sometimes you've got to come apart. Maybe the best thing you can do is take a few days off and figure out where you are. Get alone with the Lord. Find out what's going on in your life. When you feel that stress and that fatigue and all that set in, that fear comes upon you. Maybe you need just to find yourself a place to unplug. That's what Elijah did. He ran out there, fell down, and, and went to sleep. And there are times, and my wife will, will tell you this, that, that sleep flees from me. And the more you have on you, the harder it is. Elijah went out there and just came apart. And he rested. Second thing, correct living. Correct living. Not only do you need to come apart sometimes, you need to live correctly. You're, you're made really a, a threefold being, a spirit, soul, and a body. And when you begin to neglect any one of those things, the others begin to suffer. So the best thing that you can do is live that balanced life. Eat right. Sleep. Pray for it if you need to. Man, exercise a little bit. Boy, I don't hear anybody amening me down. It'll do you... 
world of good. I'm just here to tell you. Look what Elijah had, man. He went out, he went to sleep, he laid down, finally got some rest, probably for the first time in forever. When he woke up, who did he have chefing for him? He had an angel from the Lord that had come with some heavenly cornbread and a, and a good glass of, of water up beside his head. And there he got up and, and he began to eat. And what did he do? He went right back to sleep. And he got up. And what did the angel say? Well, you need to eat some more, brother, because I need to get you ready for the battle that's ahead of you. I need to nourish you. And I need to make sure you're ready to go. And sometimes the best thing you can do is, is to live correctly. I ran into my dad the other day. He is now on this Nutribullet phase. How many of y'all have seen the, the Nutribullet? Anybody in here? I mean, you can see it. It's, it's a juicer. It, it makes anything you want into a smoothie. So he's got that, and he tells me, I have a power smoothie, son, for breakfast. Every morning now, I'm having a power smoothie. And he says it with all the gusto and enthusiasm that he can. I said, tell me what a power smoothie is. I, I don't know that my dad's vocabulary contained the word power smoothie not too long ago, much less he'd ever had one, but now he's drinking them for breakfast. So I said, Dad, what is that? He said, man, I get carrots, I get cucumbers, I get every vegetable I can. I get tomatoes and put it in there. I get walnuts and put it in there. And he said, man, you cut that thing on and in just an instant, it'll whip that into a smoothie. You can drink it down and get a day's worth of nutrition in one little meal in the morning. I said, how's that working out? He said, terrible. It tastes awful. I'd rather have a dose of castor oil. How many over here? Hey, hey. I say that to say I don't think that's going very far in his life. I think there'll be a Nutribullet for sale if you want one before very long. Saying, Pastor, should you not ever have a Krispy Kreme donut? No, I would never, ever say that. Never. <laughs> have a donut, man, but overall. Man, look at, look at your diet. Look at your exercise. Man, look what it, what it does. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I hope I can find it. I hope I can. Yes, I can. Uh, here's one study that they did with people battling depression. Here's what they did. They put them on a regular workout regimen three times a week. And here's the results. It said that regular exercise toughens the mind as well as the body. After working out three times a week for six months, our test group was found to be 20% fitter. Now that's no surprise. If you work out three times a week for six months, you're going to be a little fitter. But here's the bonus. They all scored 70% scored better in a test of complex decision making than we give them before they started that regimen. 70% better mental capacity just because three times a week they did a little exercise. Now, I exercise a lot. I don't think I've reached the 70% mark yet. I'm still striving, so you pray for me. Exercise, eat right, correct living. A healthy lifestyle, man, it'll help you. Counsel, dialogue. Man, the Lord came out and said, what are you doing here, son? Do you think God knew? I don't think God was asking him so he could enrich his knowledge. I think God knew why I was there. Matter of fact, I believe God drove him to that place to be able to talk to him. And there's something here behind the scenes. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do is talk. And God let Elijah, time after time, voice his concerns, didn't he? At least two times in the Word we see that he said, What are you doing here, son? And then he let Elijah kind of let it all out. We even see one time where Elijah puts his face in his mantle, didn't he? And he went back in the cave. And I wonder if he wasn't crying. You see, and we're taught in today's society, that's a bad thing. I'm telling you, sometimes it's healthy just to let things out of your life in such a way as that. And you need some people in your life. If the enemy can do anything, he's going to get you by yourself somewhere. Look what Elijah said. He said, I am all alone. There's nobody left but me, Lord. I'm all by myself. Here I am out here all alone. And if the enemy can do anything in your life, he's going to isolate you. 
And that's the last thing you need in your life when you're feeling this way. You need people in your life. Man, you need good friends in your life. You need people you can call and say, can I meet you somewhere? Can we have a cup of coffee? Maybe a Krispy Kreme donut, glory to God. And we can sit down here and we can talk about what's going on in my life. I'm here to tell you that a, a good friend is a priceless thing in your life. When you have somebody that will talk to you without judging you, without even having to say a word themselves, but will come and just listen. And somebody you can count on that when they walk away from that encounter, they're not jumping on Facebook or, or getting on the telephone or sending everybody and their brother everything you talked about. I'm telling you, you got somebody like that in your life. You're blessed beyond measure. That's a blessing from the Lord in your life. If the enemy could, he would isolate you from your friends, from your people that love you, from your family. Yea, even from the body of Christ. He'd get you out of the place where you have the greatest resources to help you along. You need that counsel and your dialogue. Got some trusted ladies that are going to be in the back today. Maybe you're a good listener. Go by and tell them, hey, I'm here. I can be a listener for somebody. Maybe you need the resources they have medically. Whatever it is, you need to go get uh, in touch with some people that can help you. Fourthly, correction. I put this, he had to start thinking right. The enemy in depression began to work into his very thought processes, falsehoods and misconceptions. And we see Elijah here really not able to separate the truth from the reality in his own thinking. Everything he was thinking was negative in thought. God pointed him to, to try to pursue the good in the truth. And we do well to do that today, to understand that our thought processes need to be repaired, that our, that our mind needs to think not on the things of earth, but on the things of, of heaven, not on the things that are wrong, but on the things that are, are right. Doesn't Paul in Romans say, you need to be transformed? What did he have? How are you going to do that? By the renewing of your mind. And the battlefield today is really for your mind. The enemy would like to control it. If he can get you thinking negatively and down, he owns you on every hand's turn. But if you can begin to think holy and positive thoughts and about the blessings of God, let me tell you, he has no sway in your life. And you're going to find that joy and that release and that freedom that you need. You know what I think when I walk out of here? Before I come into the pulpit, I'm usually on Saturday night thinking this. Well, you aren't ready. You hadn't prepared nearly enough. That's the stupidest sermon I've ever seen written in my life. Why would you think you need to go preach something like that tomorrow? Nobody's going to listen to that. It ain't going to amount to nothing. Then I come in here and preach it, and I walk out feeling worse. I'm thinking, man, Stace, you were right. That was the dumbest thing you could ever preach. You really blew that. That application was wrong, and I begin to analyze everything. Let me tell you, that is wrong Thinking. Wrong. And we need to learn to think differently than that by the renewing of our mind in the Holy Spirit. A lot of what God was doing was renewing Elijah's thinking. He was saying, Lord, I'm alone. Everything I've done is zero. Everything I've done amounts to nothing. I'm down. I'm no good. I'm zero. And the Lord's saying, all oh, that's false. Elijah, not true at all. Write this down. Here's a point of application. This will help you. I want you to write down daily. You say, Pastor, I'm not depressed. Well, praise be unto God. I didn't say you were. But this will help you no matter what. You ought to write down daily when you get up in the morning five positive things in your life. You ought to get up every morning with a pen and a piece of paper and write down five positive things in your life. You know what you find? You find your thinking changes. They tell us that over our lifetime, 70% of all the communication that's made to us is negative. And that breeds negative 
thinking. You don't think it impacts you? Let somebody say one little negative word to you. And man, you won't forget it. Sometimes, for years, the enemy will lodge it in your spirit. Get up and write five positive things down, man. Say, I'm going to be proactive. Fifthly, conversation and communion with God. The best thing you can do is get along with the Lord. Find a cave where God can speak to you. I'm glad that he called to Elijah and Elijah heard him. And it may be, listen to me, it may be that you're going through this season because God has something to say to you. It may be that he's driving you to this place and using these circumstances in your life so that he can get you to the mouth of that cave along with him. Interesting, the word said he came by in the wind. Isn't that how we want him to move? We want him to, in our life, let the wind and the Holy Ghost blow and, and rocks get split. We, we see he came in an earthquake. He sent an earthquake. And, and isn't that how we want him to move? We want him to shake everything and, man, change everything in a moment's notice. He came in the fire. And isn't that how we pray? Lord, send you fire. Send you rain. We pray for that. And praise God, I hope he does all that. But I'm going to tell you, he said, Elijah, I wasn't none of that. I was in that still, small, and I'm here to tell you that most of the things I've ever really heard from the Lord in my life came through that still, small voice. Get in conversation with Him today. Get in His presence. His presence and the voice of God are the dynamic duo that will lead you out. Pray. Read the Word. Get alone with Him. Lastly, continuance. I love verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go. Get up. I'm done with you here. It's time to go. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just get up and go. Sometimes the best thing you can do when the moment comes is lay all that aside and get up and go. The enemy would want you to do nothing more than just to continue sitting right in the mouth of the cave where you are. Is this easy? No, it's not easy. Like I say, I've been there. And the only thing that will motivate you is the voice of the Lord saying it. You have to hear him saying, son, get up and go. Get up and do. I've equipped you. Get up and go. Take one more step. Go down here and do this. Do that. Sometimes you just have to continue in your journey. There is hope and great deliverance. It can come to anybody's life. It can come to yours. Fear, fatigue, futility, fight of life. It can all drive you there. What's going to get you out? I'm going to tell you. It's going to be the move of the hand of God in your life. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.